Well, Merry Christmas. It is so wonderful to see you here this morning. My name is Tim Park. I'm one of the pastors here. I am just so thankful to see all your wonderful faces this morning. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you. And again, thank you for being here on uh, such a, uh, a busy day. And this is a busy time of the year uh, for all of us. And so uh, I'm thankful to, to be able to worship together on this day. You know, speaking of busy, have you ever uh, tried to find parking in a busy parking lot, a packed parking lot, especially during the holidays. We've all been there, right? And uh, it's kind of funny when you're looking for parking and you see somebody walking, trying to find their car, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? They're roaming the parking lot, going up and down every aisle, and they can't seem to remember where they parked their car. And so it's kind of funny because you can tell that they're kind of embarrassed that they can't can't find their car. And some of them are just kind of like discreetly trying to, you know, open their car with their key fob, trying to find the car. And so it's kind of funny when you see them going up and down the aisles looking for their car. It's funny until you're in the car following them trying to get their spot. <laughs> they could just be frustrating, right? So you're following that person and that person goes down a certain aisle, and so you follow slowly, and you think that person has stopped at his or her car only to see him or her go the other aisle across. And that's got to be the most frustrating thing to be in your car waiting for that person. And so, you know, parking in a packed parking lot this time of the year, it can try anybody's patience. And, and finding your car in a packed parking lot it can be uh, challenging, difficult, and also embarrassing. You know, one particular year, my family, we went and watched a soccer match at the Rose Bowl. It was a friendly match between the LA Galaxy and Barcelona. Now, if you follow football, as in worldwide football, or we call soccer here, if you follow soccer, you know that Barcelona is a, is a huge team, and so that team always attracts fans. And so there we were on a Saturday night at the Rose Bowl, us, along with oh, 95,000 other fans. We were packed inside the Rose Bowl. It was a great match. And uh, the thing is this, if you've ever parked at the Rose Bowl, you know that the parking lot is actually on top of a golf course. You're parking on top of Brookside Golf Course in Pasadena, adjacent to the Rose Bowl. And the thing about this so-called parking lot is there are no signs and there are no lights. And so by the time your event is over, it is just pitch black with no signs whatsoever. So that night we watched a great match. And, and thankfully, I, I remembered where we parked. And so I made it a point to memorize where we parked. So we got to our car fairly quickly after the match got into our car, and then for the next two hours, we were in the parking lot waiting to get out of the parking lot. If you've ever parked at the Rose Bowl, you know that on average, you're waiting like two hours just to get out of the parking lot. So it was a long, long night for us after the soccer match. But as bad as I felt for our family and for all the others in the car, I felt especially bad for one particular family who they couldn't find their car. So there was this dad, a mom, and their little kids, and I kid you not, for two straight hours, 
they roamed the golf course looking for their car. And I felt helpless for them because we couldn't get out of our car. And it was just packed. It was gridlocked everywhere. And so for two hours, we sat there in our car looking at this family just going all around the parking lot looking for their car. That night, signs would have helped. You see, signs are important. But you see, at the Rose Bowl, there were no signs. There were no signs that said C4 or E6 or Mickey or Pinocchio. No signs whatsoever. So you had no idea where you parked. So for this poor family, they roamed the entire lot for nearly two hours. Signs are important. They're essential. Without signs, it'd be so difficult for us to function. Without signs, you'd walk into the wrong restroom. So signs are important for us today. Well, you know, many, many years ago, there was a crowded place. It was a city. And the name of the city was Jerusalem. And it was a bustling city. It was a thriving city. It was the capital of the nation of Judah. And this city, this nation, was ruled by a king named Ahaz. The problem was, King Ahaz was not a man of God. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. In a minute, I'm going to read this passage. In a minute, you can also follow along up here on the wall as well. But as you make your way there, I want to give you the title of this morning's message. The title of this morning's message is this, God with us. God with us. Isaiah chapter 7. I'll start in verse 10. I'll read to you verses 10, 11, and 12. In verse 10 says this, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord, your God, for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Let's stop there. Keep your place here, because we'll come back to this passage in just a second. Here's the backdrop. Two nations, Syria and Israel. These two nations schemed together to conquer Judah. And so God sent Isaiah, the prophet, to King Ahaz in Judah to send a message to Ahaz saying that you will not be defeated. And God says to Ahaz, Ahaz, ask me for a sign, and I will show you a sign. Just ask me, and I will show you. But Ahaz says, no, no, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, for us, when we hear that, we think, oh, that's so kind of Ahaz. You know, he doesn't want to inconvenience God. You know, he doesn't want to put God out. And we're thinking, yeah, you know what? Yeah, what a noble man. I'm not going to put God to the test. But that is not what Ahaz is thinking whatsoever. He's basically saying, God, I don't trust you with the fate of my nation. God, I'm going to do things my way. I don't need your help. But here's the remarkable response from God to Ahaz. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. 
Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We just sang about Emmanuel. You know, Ahaz didn't believe that God would give him a sign or that God would protect him. But it didn't matter because God was going to do so. God was going to give Ahaz a sign. And that sign was going to be more than Ahaz or anyone could have ever expected. Has someone ever done something for you that was completely unexpected? That just kind of completely blew you away? You had no idea that a blessing was coming your way. Someone does something for you completely out of the blue. I'm sure many of you have stories like that. And those memories, those memories, they stay with us for a long, long time. During one season in ministry for me, many years ago when our kids were tiny, uh, I was pastoring a young church down in Orange County. At that time, uh, I had two pastor friends of mine and the three of us were all pastoring young churches in the same area. And so to encourage one another, we would get together every week over a meal. We'd share about our ministries, we'd share our struggles, we'd share our joys, we'd share prayer requests, and then we'd pray together. It was, it was a special time at that stage in ministry. And during one particular lunch, I just shared with them an update of our family. And during that season, Joanne was in and out of hospitals and doctor's offices so frequently that, that the image was for our kids that uh, the hospital was mom's second home. The doctor's office was mom's second home. And so I was sharing with uh, my fellow pastor friends over lunch, yeah, can you just pray for us because, you know, it's been a especially difficult season, and, uh, and also, you know, the, the medical bills are just piling up. And so I just asked them simply to pray for our family. So the lunch ended, and then we all went our separate ways. Not 30 minutes after, I get a call from one of them. He said, hey, Tim, God is good. I said, what do you mean? I mean, I know God's good, okay? So, Okay, I'm a pastor. I know God's good, right? <laughs> but I didn't know what he was getting at. Hey, Tim, God's good. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, after our lunch, I got on the phone with a friend of mine. You see, my friend, the pastor, had a friend whose business God had blessed tremendously. And my pastor friend, his friend was a godly man who wanted to, to help out, and especially those in ministry. So without my knowing, my friend the pastor called his friend and shared our story. To which I guess his friend said, well, let me think about it and pray about it. And so my friend shared with me that uh, they hung up and not 30 seconds later, his friend called him back. I've prayed about it. So apparently his friend prays really quickly. 
I don't know the details of that conversation. All I know is this. Two days later, in our mailbox is an envelope and a letter from someone I never met before and to this day I've never met. So my wife and I opened up the letter and we read the letter and included in the letter was a big check to cover our entire medical expenses. Now I could tell you story after story like that. And I imagine you could tell me in your own life story after story of how God just blew you away in an unexpected way. You know, but if you really think about it, that's often how God works, isn't it? When you least expect it, He just blows you away. God intervenes in some incredible ways, in the least expected ways. And when he does, here's what happens. It gives us a glimpse into his heart. When Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would conceive and that she would bear a son, and that they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, that was a glimpse into the very heart of God. When Isaiah prophesied that Emmanuel would come, you see, at that point, God knew the impact that that announcement would have, not only on Ahaz's immediate situation, which it did, but God also knew that that would impact lives for centuries to come. So, my friends, please do not doubt, do not doubt for a moment that God had you and me on his mind when Isaiah made that announcement. God knew that that message would reach the ears of people in the 21st century. He was thinking about you, he was thinking about me before we were even born. And I know that's hard for us to fathom sometimes. And that's only because we're not God. You see, we think so finitely. And if you're like I am, here's the way I'm wired. I think logically and linearly. I love trying to get to this point and what it takes. But here we are, and here is God above. And so we can't sometimes fathom the way He works. And so please don't doubt for a moment that God was thinking about us when Isaiah prophesied that a king will come, the savior of the world will come. He will be called Emmanuel. And I love what King David writes about this concept of God knowing us so intimately. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139 in verses 13 to 16. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. Every time I read this passage, it, it kind of sends chills down my spine because it tells us how much God loves us. In verse 13, King David writes this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you 
when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Church, all the days of our lives were ordained long before we were even born. And God knew that one day you and I would need a Savior. And because we needed a Savior, God became man. In church, this season, you often hear the term incarnate. The word incarnate simply means this, embodied in flesh. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Jesus Christ is God embodied in flesh. God came down to us at our level to reach out to us. And we cannot overlook that most significant fact during this Christmas season. God came down to us. We did not reach up to him. Even when we use language like, you know, uh, so-and-so, I think, is seeking God. Even that actually is theologically kind of backwards because we don't seek God. He came down to us. And here's the reason why you and I do not initiate a relationship with God. The reason is this. Dead people don't initiate. Dead people cannot initiate. And that's what we were. We were spiritually dead in our trespasses. You see, dead people can never stretch out their hands looking for help. Have you ever watched a basketball game where a player gets knocked to the ground? Do you know what usually happens? When a player gets knocked to the ground, a fellow player runs over to help that player up. And here's what you'll usually see. On the floor is a player reaching up so that his fellow player, her fellow player, can grab that hand and pull the teammate up. Well, guess what? Before God got a hold of our lives, we were on the floor. We were on that spiritual basketball floor. But here's the difference. We could not even stretch out our hands. We did not meet God halfway or even a third of the way. Because, again, spiritually dead people cannot initiate. That's why we have Christmas. Did you know that? That is why we have Christmas. Because we could not even reach out our hand. God came down to us in the form of man and initiated a relationship with us. He did all the work for us. We didn't meet him halfway. Now, this time of the year, wouldn't it be nice if you had a personal shopper to do all your shopping for you? Amen? Amen. That'd be wonderful if you had your own personal shopper to do all the shopping so you would not even have to lift a finger. That'd be so nice. Because let's face it, as exciting as this time of the year is, it can be overwhelming. 
it can be so stressful because the busyness of the season can sometimes get the best of us. But here's the thing that I've been thinking about this past week. As if the busyness of the season itself isn't overwhelming enough, for some people, that's the least of their worries. Because some people during the season experience the holiday blues. And if you're not familiar with the holiday blues, can I tell you, it is a real thing. It is a real thing. So yes, the holidays remind us of all the joy in our lives. At the same time, it can be a painful reminder for many that anxiety and worry and doubt can be so overwhelming. You know, for those who have lost loved ones, the uh, holidays are especially difficult, isn't it? When there's an empty chair at the table, it can be especially difficult. For those who are struggling financially, it can be a painful reminder that there are so many gifts to buy and yet not enough money. And then, for those with strained relationships, this time of the year is a very painful reminder that not all is well. Last week, if you were with us, I asked you the question. I asked, are there any perfect families? And I asked you to raise your hand. Do you come from a perfect family? And uh, thankfully, uh, nobody raised their hand. So I'm not the only one. We all come from flawed families. And for the last 22 months, families have especially experienced strain. My guess is this. The majority of families have experienced extreme strain in the last 22 months because they don't all see eye to eye when it comes to the pandemic and everything associated with it. And so for many families, this Christmas, they ask themselves the question, uh, are we going to gather? If so, how are we going to gather? Some even go to great lengths and ask the question, do I even invite so-and-so to gather? And so this time of the year can be very overwhelming for so many people. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by your circumstances? And I admit to you, uh, this season, for me personally, I have to say that it, it was far more difficult than even a year ago. And maybe for whatever reason, it just kind of all caught up to me. The, the effects and, and the, the weariness. And so we're all faced with an overwhelming sense. Some are there right now. Some have experienced it. You're coming out of it. Some might be entering it. This time of the year can be a very overwhelming feeling for so many people. And this week, I hope that we will be reminded that when God came down to us in the form of a baby, when he reached down to us, he did so to meet our greatest need and also to relieve our greatest fears. Now, if it's any comfort, if it's any comfort to you today, I want you to know this that even those who were close to Jesus, they had fears and doubts. They worried. Some of them worried for their own lives. 
because following Jesus meant risking their own lives. Some of them feared uh, going hungry and going without clothing. Some of them feared being ostracized and shamed because they were following Jesus. These are genuine fears. But do you know what Jesus said to comfort their fears? Turn to Matthew 6 and look at verse 25. This is how Jesus comforted them. In Matthew 6, verse 25, he tells his followers this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then, after this, Jesus goes on to talk about the birds in the air and then also the flowers in the field. And he says, you know, if God takes care of the birds and the flowers, certainly he'll take care of you because you are worth far more. Now Luke also shares this account in his gospel. But did you know that Luke includes a phrase in his gospel that Matthew doesn't include in his? So turn now to Luke chapter 12 and look at verses 22 and 23. And here's what Luke says about the same account. Luke says in Luke 12, verse 22 and 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Now, that sounds identical to what Matthew said, and it is. So Luke and Matthew share the same account. Jesus says, don't worry, because God's got this. But then Luke adds a phrase that sheds even more light on what Jesus meant. Go down to verse 32. Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Church, when we combine Matthew's account and Luke's account, what we discover is this. We discover this one important calling. And the calling is this. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Not because you're going to get everything you want, but because God has already given you everything you need, the kingdom. In other words, God has given us himself. You see, if we are not careful, we can easily misread these two passages to be this promise that we'll enjoy all the comforts in life. But you see, God has already given us the kingdom, and that's more than we could ever ask for. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because God has given us himself. He's given us the greatest gift we could ever receive. And by the way, don't ever judge a gift by its wrapping paper, okay? Just like don't ever judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a gift by its wrapping paper. Because uh, we've been to enough white elephant gift exchanges to know that the most beautifully wrapped packages don't always produce the best gifts. We've been to plenty white elephant gift exchanges. Now, 
I don't know if you've uh, ever thought about the term white elephant gift. What's a white elephant gift exchange? A few weeks ago, our life group, we had our annual white elephant gift exchange. And I, I always look forward to these because it, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of laughter. And, and some people walk away with some great gifts and other people walk away with, well, gifts that they'll use for gift exchanges next year, right? <laughs> and so, but it's a lot of fun. And so the term white elephant gift exchange, it actually originated from the practice of the king of Siam now known as Thailand. And the phrase is said to have come from this practice where the king of Siam, he would uh, give rare albino elephants as gifts to people in his court that he did not like. And here's why. On the surface, a white elephant at that time, it was seen as an honor like, wow, the king is giving me this white elephant, that, this rare albino elephant. So on the surface, it appeared to be a gift of honor, when in reality, what the king was doing was he was giving a gift that would ruin that person's life because that person could not afford to take care of that elephant. Think about how much an elephant eats. And so it was, this, it was this, almost this way of the king disposing of an extravagant, impractical gift. And hence, the term white elephant. And so, when you go to a white elephant gift exchange, it's always hit or miss. You, you, just, you just don't know what you're going to get. Uh, for me, a couple weeks ago, at our gift exchange, it, when it was my turn, I went under the tree and I saw the gift that I wanted. It, it was nicely wrapped. That was mistake number one, okay? So, so I picked the gift, and I picked it up, and it was heavy. And it was, like, substantial, solid. And so I opened up the wrapping paper, and it produces brown box. I ripped open the box, and I reached in, and I pulled out a huge bottle of mouthwash. And then, wait, there's more. And so I reached in and I pulled out this massive bag of dental floss picks. <laughs> and then two bars of soap, Irish Spring and Dove. And then some foot cream. So let's just say my medicine cabinet it is well stocked. And so I actually went home. I was thankful I went home with practical gifts. Okay? So that's great. But you see, at a white elephant gift exchange, it's always hit or miss. You just never know. Thankfully, in Jesus Christ, we have the perfect gift. Yes, he was not wrapped in some fancy paper. Yes, he did not have a bow. But the Prince of Peace, who came to us in this most unassuming package, was the greatest gift the world would ever know. Yes, he was born in a place where the, where the animals were kept. He was placed in a trough where the animals went to feed. 
He had the most unassuming package, but he'd be the greatest gift the world has ever known. Parents, have you received your kids' Christmas wish list yet? So this is the time of the year where your kids will write their Christmas wish list. And, and I always get a kick out of reading them every year. Uh, a couple of years ago, one dad posted his daughter's Christmas wish list on his social media post, a feed for the entire world to see. And I got a kick out of this. This is his daughter's Christmas wish list. I'm going to read some of these in case it's a little bit small for you, okay? So this is her wish list. I think this was 2019, okay? iPhone 11, okay? This is a little girl, okay? She wanted AirPods, okay? And then a new MacBook Air, okay? And then a real bunny, okay? And then also a hydro flask. She wanted clothes and makeup and pink pumas, okay? And then she wanted Gucci slides. I love that. I, I Googled Gucci slides. They're not cheap, okay? They are not cheap. And then she also wanted a Chanel purse. And then perfume. And then I love this one. She wanted essential oil. Essential oil. And then she wanted American Girl doll car, new shoes, earrings, jewelry, checkered bands, GoPro, pink duct tape. Pink duct tape. Are you familiar with glue food? Okay, so glue food, coloring, and laundry detergent. And then she wanted her clothes for the bunny. And then she wanted $4,000. <laughs> that was my favorite. I don't know how she came up with that number, but she wanted $4,000 cash, cold hard cash. Andrew and Amanda, don't get any ideas, all right? <laughs> and then an LOL doll camper. Do you know LOL dolls? Yep, very popular. And then LOL dolls, big sister. And then an LOL doll chalet. I love that. And then new sheets and a cover, and then also an alarm clock. I don't know why the alarm clock. And so I got a kick out of this, because kids, they love to give their parents their Christmas wish list. That is one costly list. $4,000, I love that one. You know, speaking of cost, uh, the greatest cost of Christmas was seen when God sent his son to die for you and for me. That's the greatest cost. Jesus came to die. That's why he was born. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. My friends, Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, and he became obedient to the point of death. Now, when it says that he emptied himself, 
My question to you this morning is this. What did Jesus empty himself of? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What did Jesus empty himself of? Certainly it was not his divine attributes. You see, when Jesus left heaven, he did not stop being God the Son. So he did not empty himself of his divine attributes. Here's what he emptied himself of. Jesus emptied himself of his rights. He yielded his rights. As human beings, we like our rights, don't we? We hold on to our rights closely. And sometimes we even demand our rights. As followers of Jesus Christ, our mindset is different than that. As followers of Jesus Christ, when it comes to our own individual outlook and our interactions with others, here's what the Word of God says. Honor one another above yourselves. Here's what the Word of God says. Do what is right for everybody. Here's what the Word of God says. Submit to one another. And here's what the Word of God says. Look to the interests of others. This Christmas, may we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior with his mindset, with the humility of Christ. And I believe, starting in just a few moments, if we take on that mindset throughout this week as you gather with loved ones, if you remind yourself to model your life after that of Christ, then the world around you will see Christ in you. So may we celebrate the birth of our Lord with the humility of our Savior. Would you bow with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son into this world to save us. And thank you, God, that you did so because you knew that we needed a Savior. And thank you that we didn't have to help ourselves, because we could not help ourselves. Thank you for reaching down to us and meeting us where we were. Thank you for salvation. And Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ, thank you for the privilege that we have to, to love one another with the humility of Christ. As Christ yielded his rights, we have that awesome privilege today and every day during this Christmas season. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder through your word this morning. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.